Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. God is so good. Praise. Let's lift our hands now and worship the Lord. Would you do that? Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Brother Meadows could almost find something good to say about the devil. <laughs> He's such a complimentary man. He's a great man. Not too long ago, I was a little bit down, and it wasn't, I was hurting physically. I was working long hours, more work than what I could do, and my wife was trying to encourage me, and, and so she wasn't paying any attention to what I was saying. She was just wanting to encourage me, and I said, Hun, I think the devil hates me. She rose up, and she said, He does not. <laughs> She's trying to encourage me. She said, oh, the devil. <laughs> oh, thank the Lord for a great supportive wife. <laughs> oh, praise God. <clears throat> you may be seated. I, I have a, a notebook full of notes, and I came fully prepared to teach from this, and last evening I went back to the motel room and spent some time in prayer and preparation for today, just to, thank you, Brother Witches, just to get everything intact. And then uh, this morning, I went to the Lord in prayer, and while I was praying, I just never had God to speak any more vividly to me and what he did, and he told me that I was to be supportive in my comments today about Brother Cole's message last night. Praise God. So, <clears throat> I've got, of course, I always have many Bible markers, as you can see, I've got them all over the place. may use some of these, but it's not my intent to follow these. So I'm just putting my notes aside, and I want to talk about the new commandment. Uh, some of the things that I will be stating, many of you have heard me say several times over, offerings that I've taken, uh, messages I've preached at camp, sectional conferences to the preachers, uh, our people in our church, and we had uh, most of our church here last night, so our people, uh, I just, I'm doing this because I know that this is what God wants me to talk about. And to Sister Freeman, uh, you really blessed our heart last night, Sister Freeman. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Praise God. So many things are taken out of context, and I think this is one thing that could be taken out of context, but I think we are far cry from doing it. Uh, John, the, 12th, the 13th chapter, pardon me, talk about the new commandment, verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And this 
By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now this is uh, an extremely powerful concept. Now like I said, I believe that we are a long ways from taking this out of context. You see, I am convinced that most Pentecostals do not love their brother as much as Jesus requires us to love our enemies. Now you hear what I'm saying? Read Matthew 7. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that despitefully use you. See, Jesus said, listen to what he said. Let's, let's go there, all right? I don't have any notes, so it won't make any difference. So let's just go there, and we will take a look at this in Matthew 7. Uh, pardon me, Matthew 5, and then we're going to go to Matthew 7. Matthew 5, verse 37. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. In other words, a good straightforward answer is probably the best answer you can give anyone because if you play the political role by saying everything and saying nothing, uh, usually you confuse people. So he's saying that it, you need to learn how to say yes and you need to learn how to say no. You've heard that it had been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law to take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. You've got to listen to this. This came from the mouth of Jesus. Now, I said that we're a far cry from taking things out of context. I, I do not believe that every man that loves his brother and only loves his brother is a disciple of the Lord. I think that you can lay down your life for your brother and not even be a Christian. It has been done. See, Jesus says in John eight thirty one, he says, as conclusive evidence of discipleship is if you keep my word. Now, if any man lacketh wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth liberally. So if a man wants wisdom, you say, well, I just ask of God, and he'll give it to me. Now, on the other hand, does that mean that, that all other scriptures relative to wisdom are not applicable? My Bible tells me that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you can pray till your head falls off. If you don't fear God, wisdom will not come to you. You follow what I'm saying? So you're going to have to take the Scriptures and put them in their proper context. So if we stress the love of brethren and somehow you're able to grasp this, please understand that this is one important area, but there are other things that should be taken in consideration. Balance is the hardest thing in life for people to acquire. Wasn't that the reason why Jesus said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, 
hypocrisy is the fruit of imbalance. These things you ought to have done not to leave the other undone. You follow what Jesus was saying? So the Pharisees were strict observers of the commandments. They loved the commandments. But they did not love the God of the commandments. And you become legalistic when you lose your relationship with the lawgiver, but you do not lose your relationship with the law. That's what legalism is. But if you have a vibrant relationship with a lawgiver, you will love the commandments of God. The psalmist spoke of loving the commandments of God. So if you find someone that's carefully trying to observe the commandments of God, don't criticize the individual. Because if you judge him, see, only God is omniscient. Only God knows all. I've met a lot of Pentecostals that thought they knew it all. Because that you have limited knowledge, and because you see through a glass darkly, we are commanded then to esteem our brother higher than ourselves. See? Now we're talking about some principles concerning love. All right? Now we're going to talk first about uh, loving our enemies. All right? If any man will sue thee at the law to take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it had been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now you can't go to God in intercessory prayer for a, uh, a neighbor that you have that's, that is adverse to you, where you have an adversarial relationship. You can't go to God in intercessory prayer for this man, call his name, in deep intercession, and at the same time hating. So you can't do that. Now you might be able to mechanically pray, but you will not be able to pray the kind of prayer you need to pray for the soul of the man. Now, verse 45 is a very unique scripture. You remember what Jesus said in John 8? John 8, Jesus talked to the Pharisees and said, You claim to be the children of Abraham. If you were the children of Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham. But he said, Ye are not the children of Abraham, but ye are the children of the devil, because you do the works of the devil. See, as conclusive evidence to who you serve, he said, is found in the fruit that you bear. Now, you do all of this 
Because, why? Verse 45, that you may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. And then Jesus goes into this line of logic, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. Now, this is conclusive evidence that you're his child. He sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. It's easy to get along with someone. It's easy to get along with someone that's doing their dead level best to get along with you. All right? Verse 47, And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans the same? Now see, the grace of God, Paul says to Titus, that worketh salvation, that bringeth salvation, hath appeared unto all men. Now grace has two different meanings in the Scripture. It can be interpreted as unmerited favor, but it can be interpreted as the divine leading or influence of the heart. See, faith originates in our hearts by us hearing the voice of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. Every man is familiar with the voice of God. I can prove that scripturally. A sinner would not be able to respond to his beckoning call and come and give his heart to the Lord if he didn't know the voice of God. This is why Paul says in Romans 2, the Gentiles, not having the law of God, did by nature, listen to me, did by nature, they were made in the image of likeness of God, see. They did by nature the things contained in the law, and thus it became a law unto them. Who told the Gentiles it was wrong to steal? God. See, we're born with that voice inside. This is the reason why that people are easily converted to the truth when the truth is practiced and preached in an unperverted way, an undistorted way. It's because that when people hear the truth for the first time, it has a familiar ring to it. They've been hearing it all their life. You can't, you, you can't be saved without faith, but faith is your response to that inner voice. And grace is described as the divine leading of the heart. And the ultimate goal of grace is to make one gracious. That almost sounds profound, doesn't it? It was so, it's so simple, though. <clears throat> We talk about a lot about being led by the Spirit. We're getting right down to the nitty-gritty of the issue, though. The ultimate goal of grace is to make one gracious. That simply means to make him like his master. Verse 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in 
heaven is perfect. Now, I am convinced then that most of us do not love our brothers like Jesus expects us to love our enemies. Now, I want to go back to a line of logic that I've used in a good number of messages I've preached to our local church. I was asked to preach at our youth convention, not youth convention, our leadership seminar for our youth, on the subject overcoming temptation. I always take the message that I teach there, and I bring it back to our church on Sunday morning and teach it to our entire congregation. I started on this message. Four weeks later, I finished it. Uh, seriously, we had such a powerful move of God that I was not able to finish it. it God just uh, divinely interrupted uh, with people coming and seeking God and giving their heart to the Lord. Uh, I want to get into a little bit of this, which I feel is, is so very important, extremely important. Now, James talks about love in James, the second chapter. James, the uh, second chapter. And what I'd like to do, I'd like to just go into a little line of logic here that I feel that's uh, extremely important for us to understand. You know, what I am seeing is that so many people are putting so much emphasis on materialistic things. Now you've got to understand that when Jesus Christ came to this earth, when God visited man, he obviously was not impressed by anything that man had on this earth. You think houses and lands impressed him? No, this is the reason why he made statements like this, that life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. And a man's life consists of more than the abundance of the things that he possesses. Now see, we claim to be in love with God, and I don't want to make it so hard to get into heaven that nobody can do it. Because that's, that's not my intent at all. I'm just trying to rearrange some priorities in your life that might be a little bit goofy. You follow what I'm saying? Because quite often, you know, we become self-serving, egotistical. Self-centered is self-serving, you know. When we come to the Lord, we seem to care about the loss. After a while, we seem to care as much as we've always cared, but not about the loss, but it somehow it, it changes and we begin to care about ourselves. And the greatest driving force in life is self-preservation. And in order to be saved, you have to die. This is the reason why that salvation is a struggle. Isn't that right? What is repentance if it's not death? We were crucified with him. Do you know what death really means? See, this is explained. This is explained in the second chapter of the book of James. 
Verse 17, even so faith, if it have not worked, is dead, being alone. Verse 20, but will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. You know the reason why he's saying that? Because death really means separation. Look it up in its original form. It, that's what, exactly what it means. This is why he explains in verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So when you see in the funeral home a body, you are very cognizant of the fact that there's more to that man, or there was more to that man, even though it's mysterious, than just that robe of flesh. That a separation has occurred. So, when we give our heart to God in repentance, this is, this is where our, our relationship starts with Him. Jesus said, I say unto thee, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. See, the original law, the soul that sinneth shall surely die, Ezekiel 18.4. God made some exceptions to the original law. If He didn't make an exception to the original law, we wouldn't be here. And when we talk about mercy, that's what we're talking about. God withholds judgment, but by all rights could have executed it. But he withholds it. So he could have killed us all according to the original law. But you will find in the New Testament there are three things that are mentioned that have exceptions to the original rule. See, some Pentecostals I know of, they are so hard-headed and, 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 and so traditional that they, they wouldn't change their mind about anything, ever. I mean, you couldn't give them a brain transplant. If you did, their body would keep on doing what they've always done. <laughs> did you know that even God made an exception to something? That's true. Except you repent. And then look at John 3, verse 5. Except a man be born of water and of spirit. Now all Peter did on the day of Pentecost, he took those three exceptions and put them all together and said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He just simply took the teachings of Jesus, the exceptions that he made to the original law, put them all together and preached on the day of Pentecost. That's what he did. Why? Because, you see, he envisioned the judgment seat of Christ as being set up right now. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain grace, mercy. It's the divine leading of the heart from the judgment seat of Christ that is grace going forth that brings us to Him. No man can come to God except the Spirit draw Him. And people hear that voice and know that voice because that voice is in every person that is alive. You may not recognize it as a voice of God, but it's there. 
And the bold approach toward the throne of grace is not walking in, squaring your shoulder and say, Lord, here I am. You know what you told me. You said you love me. I'm your child. So, Lord, I want you to give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. My friend, it was first the extension of mercy that brought about divine favor, unmerited favor on an individual's life. So when we come to God, you see, the exception of the rule is that a man must repent. And it's in repentance that we separate ourselves. Now, if you cannot live a life in which it is, you are totally repentant always. You see, I have a hard time separating repentance, submission, and humility. Brother Cole talks about humility. Humility is not putting on, you know, like I missed an old dead shoe, so. That's not what it is. What is humility? It's simply not thinking of yourself any more highly than what you ought to. Basically, humility God is saying, pull off the facade and just be yourself. Just be what you are. Don't try to impress people. You know, just be yourself. You know, if we could all just kind of pull off our mask and just say, well, I am just what I am by the grace of God. And just stop trying to put on, impress people. <clears throat> you follow what I'm saying? It is true whether you... Say amen or not. I mean, that's what it is. See? And the reason why that we can submit one to another is because, you see, in the Bible, listen to this carefully, in the Bible, you were always required to submit to superiors. But a subordinate never has the authority to judge a superior. Now, I'm trying to be supportive of Brother Cole's message. You follow what I'm saying? Does your son have the right to come in and say, Dad, I don't care what you say. Submission is never predicated upon who's right or who's wrong. It's an attitude that you have. See, you've got to run your life by principles, not by feelings. And to be ethical, it has to be that way. Now, your superior, which would be your pastor, he has the right to stand behind the pulpit. He that is spiritual judgeth in all matters. This is talking about spiritual authority over you. He has the right to stand behind the pulpit and say, Church, you're not praying enough. We're not fasting enough. We're not reaching enough souls. But you on equal basis with a brother and sister in Christ or me on equal basis with a minister of the gospel, I can't judge him. You know the reason why? It's because the Bible says, let every man esteem his brother higher than himself. And if I esteem my brother higher than myself, I eternally lock my jaws and disqualify myself from being his leader. Which simply means, if I judge him, the horrible consequences of judgment from God rest upon me. Now this is right, whether you believe it or not. <clears throat> it's heavy meat for some of you, but it's right. 
And this business saying, well, I just, I've always been this way. I'm always for truth. And I like to just, I just tell everybody what's right and what's wrong. That's a bunch of garbage. You're living for yourself. You're self-centered. You're feeding on your own ego. You see, repentance is when you separated yourself from yourself. Now that almost sounds like a contradiction. But that means that something takes place inside of me. The flesh that I consider to be a very integral part of myself is separated from myself. So that I live not unto myself, but unto Jesus Christ who saved me. See, separation should never be a problem for people who have repented. One of the strongest doctrines of the Bible is the doctrine of separation. And it's never a problem for people who stay on their knees. You see, where you make a decision highly influences the context of the decision. One lady said, well, we just felt like we ought to go get a television. My first question was, did you make up your mind in prayer? Where were you? You were probably over at grandmother's house watching something. I never said it's a sin to watch television. I never have said that. I think it's a sin to watch. It's wrong to watch the things that are wrong. Do you tell your people they shouldn't have televisions in their home? Oh, absolutely, yes. You can't feed your mind on Hollywood all the time and turn out to be dead to self. You can't do that. First place, it wouldn't be appealing to you. You follow what I'm saying? But I'm not going to say that just if a man's walking in Sears and he turns and the president's speaking that he ought to just put blinders on and say, Oh, God, if I listen to this man, I'll probably die and go to hell. <clears throat> I'm not saying that. You follow what I'm saying? You know, I, I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying that a constant appetite of anything like this will reprogram you away from Calvary. So we're talking about separation. Now, the amazing thing that I find in about earthly commodities, the Bible says that earthly commodities will testify against a man. How will they? Go look at your car that you used to love so dearly. And after 100,000 miles and several rips in the seat and broken windows and everything, it's deteriorating. The Bible says that deterioration alone testifies against you. Why make a God out of something that's dying? Why serve something that won't last? Right. 
So when a man comes to Calvary, when he fully repents, separation occurs. He, through necessity, must break ties with everything in this world. You hear me? This is the reason why that Jesus told the rich young ruler who had observed all the commandments. He said, now go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. He went away sadly because his riches were great. Because every one of us, when we come to Calvary, we have to give everything up. I mean, everything. You've heard me make statements like this before. I taught this at our camp, I think, three or four years ago. I had to give up my house. I had to give up my wife, marriage license and all. I had to give up my children, birth certificates and all. I had to give up my car, title and all. I had to give up my bank account, everything. You know the reason why it should never be a problem for us to give? Because if we are cognizant of what's going on, we understand we don't own it. We surrendered it. And you always fight to retain the things you think you own. That's why he said, if a man sue thee at the law to take away thy coat, give him your cloak also. Don't fight for something that's not yours. Don't hang on to something that you don't own. That's what he's saying. That's exactly what he's saying. Oh, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, my. Oh, God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, Sandaramotu Sakamarata Ramatata Yekoto. Uremati Sikindia Mandaramahataya. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And of course, sin is destroyed in the body. I talked about overcoming temptation. You know what the Bible tells us? This is uh, such a powerful teaching. The Bible tells us that every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Isn't that what the Scripture tells us? You know that's what the Scripture tells you. And it's, uh, it's such a, a strong teaching of the Scripture. If you look at James 1... Verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Temptation is used in two senses in the Bible. One, solicitation to evil, and the other, testing under trial. There's a close connection with the two. I'll complete reading verse 1. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, I'm talking about the conception of lust just for a minute. 
In other words, a pregnancy takes place. Conception is the fusing together of two foreign alien sources in common bond to bring about one purpose. Now, conception can take place in the heart when there's lust in there. This is the reason why the repentance is such a strong doctrine, not taught much among Pentecostals after they're saved, is because we must clear ourselves, see. If you look in John 14, verse 30, Jesus says, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Now what I see... Brother Meadows, I see the devil coming, and I see him approaching Jesus, and Jesus all of a sudden just pulls back his flesh, and he says, go ahead and look inside of me. And when the devil looked inside, there was nothing but the coal inside of the heart of Jesus that reminded him of his own kingdom. There was nothing inside of Jesus. Now then, how then can a man be overtaken by Satan? Because there is nothing that he can fuse himself to. This is the reason why Jesus, with three scriptures... Now, I said temptation, solicitation to evil and testing under trial. This is the reason why I said that Jesus could quote three scriptures and put the devil on the run and not overcome him because Jesus saw the immense value in dying to the flesh. Not my will, O Lord, but thine be done. But if I have these feelings inside of me, a pregnancy will occur. I do not give birth to a murderer. I become a murderer. See? If a man hates his brother, the Bible says he is a murderer. Isn't that what it says? Jesus says, if a man looketh upon a woman... And he lusts after her in his heart. He has committed adultery in his heart with her already. He doesn't give birth to an adulterer. He becomes one. This is the reason why John said what he did about the man who does not practice sin. Now this has been grossly taken out of context. A man who is born of God cannot commit sin. That's talking about a man that practices sin versus a man who does not practice sin. And he says, why? Because his seed remaineth in him. Now, what does that mean? That simply means that when God filled me with the Holy Ghost, he put the seed of his spirit in my heart. 
Now, in order for me to turn into a long-sufferer, a gentle person, I must allow this pregnancy from God to take place in my heart. And if I am constantly pregnant in my heart with the Spirit of Almighty God, then there's little chance that I will be conceived or conception will take place in my heart of the devil. So we should be thoroughly furnished to good works. We should abide in the vine. And some of us are turning into murderers because we have not yet understood the value of true repentance. Now this is heavy meat. But you see, that's what death means, separation. This is the reason why that when James talks about our brother, look what he says, verse 14. What doth it profit, my brother, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? Question mark. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to, to the body, what doth it profit? In other words, I go up to this brother. I know this brother's hurting. I've seen this brother. I know that he lost his job. I know that things are not going well. Now, I have some things I could help him with, but because that I am not fully separated from this world and the commodities of this world, because that things have a hold of me, I'm going to give you some spiritual advice now. I said, Brother Hook, don't you dare worry about Jesus. He supplies your every need. I'm going to be praying for you. God answers prayer. And I walk away, and I'm going to put this in my own language. James says, what good did that do? James says, you say you have faith in God? You are not willing to put yourself in the identical position by taking your own goods. And yet you told him God supplies. But you weren't willing to test the fidelity of God to his principles. He said, that didn't do any good. My, I could, I could talk in tongues on this. You know, really. <clears throat> John three sixteen, First John three sixteen. Both are familiar scriptures to you. 
John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 1 John 3, 16, Hereby perceive we the love of Christ, in that He laid down His life for us, so ought we to lay down our life for the brethren. What you talking about? But whosoever hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of a truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have this confidence toward God. Now, basically, what I see, using this brother again, I, I see that what he's saying is, I go to this brother, and I have this world's goods, maybe not a lot, but some, but I'm not willing to share, and I give him all of this encouragement, see, and I walk away. Now, I've got to go before my master in prayer, so I get down, and I make a good bulk, you know, of my prayers, petitions. God, supply my daily needs. Lord, I want you to help me. God, I want you to come and bless me. A lot of that is being done, you know. Now, the problem with this is that when I had the opportunity to trade places with God, would I act like God? In other words, I am his child, and hereby shall men know that you are my disciples. See, if you love one another, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. If you have the opportunity to trade places with God and you don't act like God, condemnation comes to you. That's what he's saying. There will be a heap of condemnation come to you. Now, Jesus is saying, you can pray until your head falls off. But you're not going to get from God what you're asking from God with that kind of relationship with God or your brother. You know the reason why? Because you're not separated. See, when I stand behind this pulpit to minister to you, I should be totally unattached so that nothing influences me but God. Nothing. And you as pastors, when you stand behind this pulpit to preach to your people, no person of that congregation should have influence over you. No commodities in this world. Don't look at a man's pocketbook before you look at his soul. Don't be impressed with houses and lands. You have to be totally separated to bring revival. I'm talking about the kind of revival that God wants to see.
you will find one important thing that the Apostle Paul says when he's testifying before the dignitaries. Listen to what he said. He says that God called me to be a chosen vessel to the Gentiles. And this is what he said. He said, delivering me from my people. What was he saying? He was simply saying that God took a fear out of me. He told me he was going to take this fear out of me so that when I stood up to minister, I wasn't always thinking about, what's Brother Meadows thinking about what I'm saying? What's Brother Hook thinking about what I'm saying? Read it. And if you're that separated, please understand you will be separated from yourself also. Now, if our heart condemn us not, then we have this confidence toward God, that whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things which are pleasing in His sight. Well, look at this man by the name of Cornelius. Have you ever wondered why he was the first man to receive the Holy Ghost of the Gentiles? Ranks? Think about it for a minute. He was a devout man. He was a man that feared God. He prayed to God always. He fasted and prayed and had a vision. He'd qualify for church membership most any place. But he wasn't saved. He wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost. Why did God choose Cornelius? You ever wonder why God chose Mary to bring the Christ child? Why God chose Peter to preach the first message? Why God chose Abraham to be the father of faith? He didn't just look down and randomly pick someone. Why Cornelius? The Bible says, Cornelius, thy prayers and thine alms have come up as memorial. When Cornelius had the opportunity to stand in God's place, he did what God normally does. He acted like God. Folks, I just want to be saved. I just want to be right. I want to see a revival. Hello, Boshandari, Kartya Tomasatani. We'll just conclude by reading. Matthew 7, the ending of the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, God, I feel your holy presence, Lord. <laughs> Jesus was concluding in Matthew 6. He talked about the Pharisees, not the Pharisees, pardon me, the Gentiles. He said, after these things do the Gentiles seek.
Oh, we need to seek God. Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We need more seeking for God. We need more people concerned about their relationship with God than they are prayers being answered. Too much of our prayers are, Lord, you know, they prayed out of frustration so we make it through the day. God, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need a raise. I've got to pay this bill. Maybe if you were totally dead to self, you wouldn't be so impulsive in your spending. Maybe you could control yourself a little bit better. Maybe your checkbook would be in better shape. I said maybe, you know. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 7, Ask, it shall be given you. Seek, ye shall find. Knock, it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more should your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? We usually stop there, but the golden rule that I learned when I was a child, and you did also, is part of this message. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, taking... All the scriptures that I can find in the Bible relative to prayers being answered, taking this in context, and I'm certainly open for correction. If you think you have a justifiable argument, Jesus said, if you want to make sure that every time you ask, you receive, If you want to make sure that every time you knock, it's going to be open. If you want to make sure that every time you seek, you're going to find. He said, just treat everybody just like you'd like to be treated in all cases. Praise God. I said, now we've got to take this in context of all of the scriptures. But so help me, I think that's what he's saying. As conclusive evidence of discipleship, he said, love one another. Let's lift our hands and love him. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, God. Praise God.
Let's let the Lord move on us right now. Would you just let the Spirit of the Lord take His Word? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus' name. God, oh God, thank you for your closeness. Praise God. We need your spirit to enable us, Lord. Soak in this word and let the word become flesh in us, we pray. Let the word become flesh in us, we pray. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Why don't we lift our hands to the Lord and just kind of let the word of the Lord soak down into us. Well, we've heard. Amen. An anointing and revelation flow to us today. Oh, God. Among us, Lord. Walk among us, we pray. Let your word just reshape, Lord. Fashion. Oh, fashion, Lord. Great potter, fashion us after your likeness. Thank you, Lord. Oh, praise God. <laughs> Wonderful Jesus. Wonderful God. Thank you, Lord. Oh, forgive us, Lord, if there be anything in our hearts or our inward man. That would grieve your spirit or keep back the purposes of God from being fulfilled, coming to fruition in us. Oh God, wash us in the word today. Not only wash us in the blood, wash us in the word today. Wash us in your word. Praise God. 
We love you, Lord. Oh, how we need you, but how we need each other, Lord. How we need each other. Why don't you reach around and pray for somebody right now? Shall we let the Spirit of the Lord have its way here? Would you reach around somewhere close and pray for somebody? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Lord, help us to be practitioners. Practitioners, God. Oh, hallelujah. Sweep, Lord. Let Your wonderful breath sweep over this place and over us today. Thank You, Lord. Oh, touch our brethren. Touch our sisters, Lord. Touch God, my brother, today. God, oh, help me. Help us to be in the ministry business, Lord, of caring for others, giving, loving, helping, supporting, praying. Oh, God. Ah, Lord, touch our pastors today. Touch the shepherds of Israel. Oh, God, pastors, wives, and saints. In Jesus' name. Oh, Karamikilas Kilabresia, Rebikolas Ombrin, Shoramakidal Mon Sinari Moshi, Paralaribosara Bronda Locosopradin. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Let the love of Jesus flood our being. Let the love of Jesus flood our being. Oh, God, let the love of Jesus flood our soul. Lord, baptize us again in the love of Jesus. Baptize us in the love of God. Hallelujah.